It's the Playhouse with Trevor. The Playhouse with Trevor. Uncle Stark, Grandpa Gramps, and a bunch more friends. It's the Playhouse with Trevor. The Playhouse with Trevor. Where the music never stops and the fun never ends. Welcome back to the Playhouse, everyone. I am here with the amazing Lori Berkner of the Lori Berkner Band. How are you, Lori? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Yes, I'm glad to be here. So you have an amazing new album. I I was just listening to it. It's very cute, very exciting. Let's Go, which is available everywhere for our listeners. What inspired the songs on this album after a crazy year? What what was the input that drove you to uh, make this theme of an album? Well, I did start it before the pandemic started. Um, I had the song Let's Go and some of the other songs on there already. But then they got kind of finished in this strange way of doing things remotely. And also, they some of them took on some really different meaning to me, like Beautiful Light. I, I wrote that song, um, You're a Beautiful Light in This World, thinking about someone who I just thought was very inspiring and wonderful and thinking about any child singing it, how I might have felt as a child singing it, um, how good that would feel. And it felt even more important after a year of a lot of difficult, scary, hard, challenging things that we were all going through. And uh, just remembering that like we have this light inside of ourselves, all of us do, and that we all have something to bring to the table and ways to help each other and share and shine. And um, so that felt really good. And then there were other songs like the superhero handwashing song, superhero mask song that um, I wrote purely because of the pandemic and put on the album as well. Right. That's that's amazing. And I think it's it's amazing that you were able to to complete this album at this time, because I think it'll it'll bring so many families a lot of peace of mind. So that's amazing that that it took on different meanings. Um, speaking of your writing, I think that you have such a gift for writing from a kid's perspective. Um, I remember I actually had the pleasure of growing up with you because I grew up in the early 2000s. And and I just remember never feeling spoken down to or sung down to rather. I think you have an amazing gift for, for writing from the children's perspective. And I was wondering how that came about. And is that a skill that you acquired throughout your career? Or is that something that you just found all of a sudden? Well, first, thank you. That's so ni- It's so nice to hear from, <laughs> you know, just to talk to someone who has experienced my music both as a kid as, and as an adult. It'll be interesting. Hopefully I'll be around when you have, if you have kids. Um, <laughs> but I'm not really sure. I think when I first started writing music for this age group, I was a music teacher for preschoolers. And I wrote some of the early songs I wrote literally like, walking around the room like being with them and just kind of making it up and asking like what do you want to sing about what should we do like that's how we are the dinosaurs came about i literally asked them what did they want to sing about and they said dinosaurs so we got up and i just started doing it and i (laughs) and what was happening was that we were the dinosaurs so i just was singing what was actually happening and i think i wrote a lot of my early songs that way and then i noticed this is this is something that not I think not everybody thinks about, which is what is the point of view of a song? It's very easy to forget that as adults, if we write a song that says you do this, you do that, then a child is hearing it that way. And also when they sing the song, they're not singing about themselves anymore. Now they're singing about somebody else. And um, one of the things that I used to hear a lot was that parents would say, you know, my kids, when I put on 
the Beatles, they like it. But when I put on your music, they say, this is my music. And that sense of ownership, I think, has a lot to do with the point of view of the songs. And I think there's also a way in which the songs become very, you become very connected to to something if it feels as though we're singing about ourselves. So anyway, except for that first example, I don't know that I was conscious of it when I first started writing, but then I did notice it and I realized I, I actually make a really big effort to try to write from the first person point of view as often as I can because of that. And some, when I do change it, it's on purpose. You know, and actually in that song, Beautiful Light, I change it from I to we and you, you and we, but play with that so that there is that both a parent can sing it and a child can sing it and that we're all, and also realizing that of course we're all singing about everybody, but it was really specific to that song I felt in that situation. Wow, you know, I can't wait for the Lori Berkner biopic where you're in a preschool with a bunch of kids acting like dinosaurs and the, and the moment strikes. <laughs> That thing you do style. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, like I said, I grew up with your music, and I remember just all of a sudden, Lori Berkner was everywhere. You were in the CD stores, you were on TV, and I think you inspired a, a huge scene. I think you were a, a big pioneer for making music that spoke to kids. I was just wondering, what would past Lori Berkner think of all you've accomplished, and, and did you ever anticipate the success that, that rightfully came with your music? <laughs> Definitely didn't anticipate it. Maybe hoped for something like that, but didn't really even know how to imagine it, I think, when I started. I didn't, there wasn't really another, I mean, maybe Raffi was a little bit of a, a model in that way, but he he did it a little differently. His style is a little different from mine. Yeah, it was hard to imagine it. And I think I do have moments now where I think if I were to have to stop tomorrow, I would feel very... I think I'd feel very satisfied and happy and proud of what I've been able to actually put out in the world and the kind of like effect that it seems like it's had on kids and families and that feels really good what I've been able to succeed at in my career all of that feels really good so I think if I were to think about it if I were to know back then it would feel like a relief to know that I reached some point that felt gratifying and at the same time, I will say every day I wake up and I think like, how can I make something better and more and give more? Like, I feel like that is always, I do have sort of a drive to want to do more all the time. Um, but it feels good to also feel like, okay, I've also done a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm piecing together my first kids music album and obviously- How exciting! I didn't know that. You. Wait, tell me, tell me about as a musician, what, what do you do? My band's called the Zing Zangs and it is a duo with my friend Emma, who's um, really into music and, and I'm very into comedy and acting. So we're kind of blending that together and um, just making something that, that speaks to us. So yeah, it's, it's been really exciting, but obviously it's been such a, a process. And I was just wondering, with your first album and the first music you started making, has, how has your approach changed over the years? Well, there's so many aspects, right? There's the songwriting, there's the recording, there's, and then as videos, like when I first started, videos didn't really exist in my world. So everything has changed somewhat, partly because technology has changed so much. The way people consume music and media in general has changed so much. Right. I mean, when I first did my first album, it was on quarter, it was on one inch tape. It like came in those canisters that looked like old film 
canisters and stuff like that. <laughs> we literally had to cut it, like physically cut it to put in something else and tape, scotch tape it. Like it was just, it was the old days. <laughs> and I, I did a lot of, what do you think of that, that album? I did a lot of that just like sitting in front of a mic playing and singing at the same time. Like there was, there was no fixing most things. It was just what it was. And I think we had eight tracks or something. It was, it was very, very minimalistic, if you think about it in that way. And then the writing also happened a lot, like I said, with the kids, because I was in a classroom situation or a mommy and me situation with kids so many hours a week. I At the height, I guess I was teaching maybe 25 music classes a week. And, you know, if you have 10 to 20 kids in each of those classes, I'm that means I'm seeing what does that mean? 500 kids, like a lot of kids. <laughs> so I was constantly inspired by them. I was also had felt the pressure of like, oh, I'm going to see those same kids, you know, in three days, I got to come up with a new song. <laughs> I would write songs on the bus while I was walking around. And now I definitely have a different process in that I don't go in and just try a song with a bunch of kids. I share it with people around me that I trust to give me good feedback. I do share them with kids when I can, but they aren't kids that I see a couple times a week every week and know very intimately. So that's all different. At the time, I thought a lot about what I needed as a music teacher in the classroom. Now I think a lot about what might all kinds of teachers need? What might a parent need? And certainly I've always thought about what I think would be fun if I were a kid. But I, you know, I wrote a dinosaur song 20 years ago, so I can't really, I'm not going to do that one again. So it's interesting to always try to be finding a different, different ideas and new ideas and how to do them differently, um, but still maintain a sense of it sounding like a Lori Berkner song, you know, um, right. So, so a lot of those, those things have just kind of grown over the years. Am I answering your question? Yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you're saying that, I think that there's a very specific style to a Lori Berkner song. And I was wondering, once you began writing these songs and you, and you got out there and after a few years, I was wondering if there was a specific moment that you realized that this is what you wanted to do forever. Was there something that, that kind of showed up or was it a slow process? <laughs> I do actually remember the day. <laughs> I'm really glad I, I mean, asked that. <laughs> I mean, there, there were many things on either side, but um, when I first started as a preschool music teacher, I it was very hard for me. I was in my 20s and I actually felt like I didn't have any idea how to talk to preschoolers but I had gotten this job as a preschool music teacher after having worked with older kids at a camp uh, for a couple of summers up in Vermont and being the music counselor there. I also had worked in daycares. I had babysat. This woman who I babysat for her daughter was a movement teacher at Rockefeller University in Manhattan. And their music teacher of 10 years, very practiced woman who was older than I was, had left and they basically needed someone cheap. So I came, I showed up and I was like, I do songs with kids at camp and you know, it'll be, I'll, it'll be really fun. I can make this fun and yeah, you can pay me whatever. <laughs> and then I started and I realized, oh my gosh, someone who is one, two, three, four, five, all very different from each other and all very different from kids who are eight to 13, which is what I had been working with. And um, so I would go in every day and I would literally like go home crying at night because I just felt like I didn't know how to talk to them and I didn't know how to make it fun. And it took a whole year of a lot of listening and a lot of like, okay, what, what do you like? What don't you like paying attention, remembering what it felt like to be a kid myself to move past that. And so at first I didn't think I would ever keep doing it, 
But once I got to that point, I was also at night playing in bands and I was in a all female cover band at the time mm. that this happened. And, you know, I'd, I would start playing at like 11 at night and finish at three or four in the morning. It was exhausting. People were doing things around me that I didn't like, like smoking and screaming things at me to play songs that I didn't know how to play, like Freebird. And I, you know, it was, there were great things about it. I really learned how to play a lot of guitar because I had to. But I also remember that I was starting to do birthday parties on the weekends and I had been writing music for the kids at school, gotten better at it, started to like realized as I wrote things for them that if I listened and they told me what they liked and then I turned that into a song, suddenly we were all having fun. And I didn't have to like tell them to stop hitting each other or, you know, it was like the like discipline became not a non-issue when we were actually all having fun together. And that really came out of listening to what it was that they wanted to spend their time doing and making it work for both of us. Right. So, so once I had done that and I was doing birthday parties, I was like singing songs, singing Victor Vito and buzz buzz and stuff at these parties. I just remember one day doing one of these shows on Long Island. I had been a little under the weather, a little sick. I, w- I felt exhausted. I got home smelling like smoke five in the morning, had to get up a few hours later, jump in the shower and then drove to a park that was beautiful. I was outside during the day, surrounded by green families, and they were going, play Victor Vito. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, this is so much more fun than what I did last night. (laughs) Why am I doing that? I don't need to do that anymore, you know? And so I I left that band (laughs) and I started working more on developing the kids' music. That was my long answer. (laughs) That's amazing, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, what a great discovery. What a way to discover that. So let's talk about what you're currently up to. I, I am so fascinated by the um, the amount of projects that you've got going on, but you have an Audible original, Lori Berkner's Song and Story Kitchen. Would you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, we put out the first season of it, I think two years ago now. Basically, I took my songs and picked out some of the characters from them and developed them to create stories with them as the main characters. and. The way the setup of the series is, is that each episode I start out in the kitchen with my friend, Polonius Pig, who came out of the idea of having a pig on my head from Pig on the Head. (laughs) And so Polonius and I are making something, something comes up that leads to a conflict or something that we want to talk about, a feeling. And as we're making our thing, we decide, okay, let's tell a story about our, the other characters. And they all live in a magical land called Juniper Fields. So we go to Juniper Fields, the story gets told, and all the way along, there's my songs are peppered throughout. Um, so it's a little bit of like a mini musical in the middle. And then we come back and finish making what we're making in the kitchen and hopefully wrap up whatever the problem was. There were 10 chapters in the first season. And right now I'm writing another 10 chapters to do a second season. And I'm hoping that will be out later this year. That's so very cool. I have to check that out, actually. That sounds really great. This is my detailed question about your music, because your music is is so dynamic that you're able to take the songs and make entire stories out of them. So what do you think it is about your music that has connected with literally all ages? If I knew the answer to that, (laughs) (laughs) it's like the the golden egg, the goose and the golden egg. I, um, I don't know exactly. I mean, I have always tried to write music that I would want to sing over and over again. So... That helps (laughs) because um, 
I have had to sing my songs over and over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I sing We Are the Dinosaurs almost every time I get up in front of people. And, and that was one of the first songs I ever wrote. And I don't know what that is exactly. It's just a feeling when I'm writing something like, oh, I like this. It helps when I just like the song that I've written. And I think also then, I don't know, it makes it easy to keep allowing it to, to change and develop a little bit. All the songs have changed a little over time and I haven't even noticed it. Like I, I go back and listen to the original recordings and I'm like, oh, I used to sing those words. <laughs> <laughs> I forget a lot. Um, but I think, I think there are a lot of elements that can make a song a good song. And if you have a, even a couple of them, that can be enough. I think those elements overlap with what is good for kids and what is good for adults. And if you can find the overlap, then more people will like the song. And the more universal the idea of the song is, or the feeling of the song, or the music of the song, some element, the rhythm, like something that draws people in, if there's some universal quality to what's being created, that opens the door for anyone who's listening to feel themselves in it, right? To feel something that they connect to in the song that gives it meaning for them. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I can write a song that I like, but it doesn't mean that anybody else will connect to it. So it's sort of like tapping in a little bit into those things that feel very human. And, um, and sometimes that means being as specific as possible, because sometimes it's the specific, like, once you try to be universal, it's very easy to make everything have no meaning. And then right. you have to come back to like, what is the, what is the, the core of that? What's the smallest little piece of that? Like, why is the song, these are my glasses? Like, why do kids love that song so much? <laughs> like, it's just about putting your glasses on and opening up a book. So in, in a way, there's a very mundane aspect to it. But because that's really what we do, we spend our days doing mundane things. <laughs> that's part of being human, you know, and, and the reason why things feel spectacular is because they're outside of that, right. But so much of the time, we do the same things over and over. So anyway, I, I think because I didn't know how to answer you, I just had to keep going on. But I, those are all <laughs> elements that I think are part of it. Yeah, I think that's really great advice for any kind of musician, too. So thank you for that. Now, sure. you have an exciting couple of concerts coming up, um, which is especially exciting in the times that we live in. I think that all families can benefit from a little distraction right now. So you've got a spring holiday party, March 28th. Yes. I believe one at 12 Eastern and one at 5 Eastern, if I've done my research correctly. You did your and homework. The, the tickets are available <laughs> at live.lauriberkner.com. So what can we expect from the concert? They're really fun. I've been doing them since last June, uh, about every six to six, seven weeks or so. So basically, we transform my living room into looking more like a stage area. Um, it is very hard to tell that I'm not like in a theater or even in a green screeny kind of thing, which we don't, we don't use it. We use a real backdrop, but we do use green screen elements within the show. So there's a lot of playfulness that way. Um, there are also graphical elements that we, that are placed on top of what I'm doing as well. So there's interactivity with that. We have like little games that you can play during the show that pop up on the bottom. Um, there's an hour long pre-show before it starts where we play videos and we're actually going to be playing a um, Easter, an egg hunt game on the screen before it starts. Then we also encourage everybody before they come to download their pictures of flowers that you can decorate and color in at home and bring 
when you watch the show and that actually also is integrated into the show. So there'll be songs from Let's Go, there'll be songs about spring, and absolutely a lot of my big hits, and I will be playing We Are the Dinosaurs. <laughs> right, of course. I'm glad. <laughs> well, that sounds incredible. So yes, everyone make sure to go to live.lauriberkner.com and get your tickets quick because it's coming up in eight days. So head on over. My final question might be the most important question, Lori. This is a question we ask every one of our guests. We all want to know, what is your favorite fruit or vegetable? Avocado. Avocado. Ooh. <laughs> Hands down. <laughs> and that is, some people would call it a fruit. So it is a fruit. And I have many favorite fruits and vegetables, but I, I could eat an avocado pretty much every day. I don't know. I just find it like delicious and versatile and creamy and filling. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fair answer. I just I just discovered avocados like three years ago. I don't know where avocados were all of my life, but where, where do you live? I live in Vancouver, Canada. Oh, that's so interesting because San Francisco Lots of avocados there, mm. not that much farther north, but maybe it's cooler enough that like they don't, you can't, that it's still temperate, I know, in Vancouver, but not, maybe not like avocado growing country. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's been easy to find now that I know about them. So I think it was just my, it was my lack of knowledge. Well, <laughs> Lori Berkner, thank you so much for being on the Playhouse today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, you too. You are a fantastic interviewer. I really had a lot of fun. Well, thank you. And everyone, make sure to check out her new album, Let's Go, is available on all streaming platforms and I'm sure her website, lauriberkner.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to the Playhouse podcast. If you'd like to hear our full episodes, just go to theplayhousewithtrevor.com. See you there.